Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is wonderful and splendid. Splendid is a new word. You have to keep it up now. Well, the, th the problem is, you know, Andy's got his start. You always say something at the end. I don't have a thing at the minute and... I was going with salutations for a while. Then I wanted to say Wagwan, but I didn't want to be done with cultural <laughs> appropriation. Uh, and then a, a trial piece, Love and Death Metal at the end once, but mm, I, I'm, I'm still finding my feet a year on. I don't say something every week at the end. It's only occasionally if something tickles my fancy. That's but true. you have your, your take years, guys. That That's your that's thing. That's my thing. I suppose I do have a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Either that, or, or we need someone to send in a catchphrase for Matt Guy. Yeah, do it. the the be, The best one wins my uh, wins my my new catchphrase for my action doll. <laughs> when it's released. <laughs> yeah, so you 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 yourself can pull on the guy. <laughs> yes, yes, it's uh, that's an open offer. So, fellas, it is. Mandy this week, which is going out the week of Halloween. First off, a week. Big fans of Halloween, or is it just another day to you? It is to me. I generally couldn't give a shit because I'm miserable. So, Matt? well, okay, to break the to break the fourth wall here, peek behind the curtain. It is the second of September as recording. Um, I had a semi argument with my wife this morning because she wants to put the Halloween decorations out now um, because it is quote autumnal, and I said okay. Autumnal pumpkins, leaves, yes, but have these pumpkins got scary faces on them? <laughs> to her reply was, only one of them. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, I don't know if people, like, obviously the people that know me that listen to this will know that like, quite a lot of our house is skulls and dead things anyway. Like, So it doesn't necessarily not look like Halloween a lot of the time, but we, we do go full whole hog in this household for Halloween. Mm. I, in, in fairness, like Sam might say it's autumnal, but I'm still wearing a vest and shorts. It's still quite warm. It's not like it's proper autumn yet, is it? It's just an excuse. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, if, you, if you're proper shorts and not a poser, then you have shorts till November anyway, at the very least. So, mm. yeah, true. No one, feels, no one feels the cold. I mean, again, we've exposed ourselves of what, what, what date this is. I mean, Queen of Death Tara put it on Twitter as well. She's one of these who gets excited. It's September, so it's one of them. Eh? I mean, if you if you if you're that way inclined and you don't like Christmas, then and this is your if this is dark Christmas for some people, then go for it. Fine. But if you don't like it either, yeah. But, that, but and that's just you. Eh? <laughs> you, you you got no fun in your life. That's your problem. But this is where we learn. This is where we learn that Andy secretly goes mad for Kwanzaa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've never been really that bothered by Halloween. It's just, I think we said this exact same thing last year. We watch scary films all year round anyway. We don't need an excuse for it. And 
if you want to be a pretender and put bats outside your house, fine, do do what you want. Mm. <laughs> no judgment here, but not for me. I think I think Halloween turned for me when I stopped going clubbing on Halloween because I enjoyed it, and then I stopped going because it became an inconvenience because of how busy it was. <laughs> That's when Halloween <laughs> turned for me when I turned about twenty eight. Um, when it became less about like going out and it being an event of the year to wanting to stay in to avoid people. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I get that feeling most of the time, to be fair. But anyway, yeah, we're here to discuss Mandy, uh, another one of Nick Cage's fairly recent movies, this one is. Fellas, we've mentioned it a few times on the pod. Was this your first time viewing or have you seen it before? It was my first time viewing of it, and I really, really couldn't wait to watch it. I was really looking forward to this, and I, ever since we we did Colour Out of Space, and this, rightly or wrongly, gets lumped in with Colour Out of Space quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I think like like they, they get talked about in the same sentence a lot. So I was really looking forward to it, and when we finally came to the chance, I was really, uh, really excited to do it. Yeah, Stu, this is this was your first time watching it as well, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, pretty much the same thing that it's been so because I knew we'd do it, do it eventually. I didn't watch it when we started this over a year ago, and I thought no, because I'll end up watching it twice anyway if we do that. And I want to go because it had already been recommended to me by so many people. So you need to watch Mandy. It's it's great. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait until we, and so I can experience it properly so then I can think about it while I'm watching it and that kind of thing. So all I knew was that it, the whole colour of space thing and it was a bit mental. That's all I knew mm. going. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it's so closely paired with Colour Out of Space, they were both released, I think it was, was it 2017 and this is 18. Um, and if you look at the poster for Mandy, there's lots of, Pinks and purples on there, very similar to Colour Out of Space. So visually, there is a uh, resemblance between the two. But I think, well, once we get into the minutiae of it, it's not really that closely linked, is it, I don't think? So the cast of this film, there's a lot of people in this film. I don't really know a fat lot about, if I'm being completely honest. But the one name that does stand out is Andrea Reesborough. I She's an actor whose name means something to me. When I see her name on a film or TV show, I'll give it the time because I know she always puts something into it. She kind of reminds me of Tilda Swinton. She's almost a chameleon. Like You can see her mm. turn her hand to anything and you don't necessarily realise it's the same woman who's done all these different things. Plus, her episode of Black Mirror is absolutely one of my favourites. I think it's fantastic. Is there anyone on the cast list who either of you two are particularly fans of, or even... Well, Richard Brake, I'd seen him um, before he plays the chemist, and I realised he was in Game of Thrones, and he was in Peaky Blinders as well. Um, Okay. And I don't know where Ned Dennehy, I'd seen him before, but I just knew him from something. I can't quite put my finger on it, where where I've, what I've seen him in. Um, and obviously, Stu will, Stu will know Bill Duke, I'm sure, for a lot of more yeah. 80s uh, steroid action movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, Dennehy, he is in 
Peaky Blinders, Charlie Strong. Yeah. Of course he is. Of course he bloody is. Yes. And Good yes. Omens. But I don't particularly remember him. Duke Hell, Duke of Hell Haster. I don't remember that character. But yeah. So, Stu, obviously, then you know Bill Duke from Predator and... Commando. I say Alien. Commando, that's the one. He's been in loads of different things. M- main, yeah. Mainly explosion-based stuff. <laughs> That's a little bit shortchanged with his character in this because he doesn't really get hardly any screen time whatsoever, does he? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it was directed by Panos Cosmatos. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he's an, a director who has only done one film prior to this and nothing since. So he did a film which is a apparently it's a, an accompany piece to this one called Beyond the Black Rainbow. I've not seen it. I don't know anything about him. Either of you two know that film or even heard of it before? No, no. No. One's passed me by. Yeah. Uh, So IMDb describes this film as the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen. Propelling a man into a spiral, surreal rampage of vengeance. Under the crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. This is a weird, weird film. So we're gonna have. To, I'm gonna change it up a little bit from our normal. What I've done is I've taken the plot synopsis from Wikipedia to talk through. The film sort of, for me, falls into four quarters quite nicely, but they're very long quarters in which not a lot happens, which made it really difficult to write down a brief synopsis like what we usually do. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll do. We'll go through each quarter. And then I want you to tell me good and bad things that you found about each quarter. Cool? Yep. Okay, so in 1983, somewhere near the Shadow Mountains, Red Miller, that'll be Nick Cage, leads a quiet and reclusive fuck's sake, leads a quiet and reclusive life with his girlfriend, artist Mandy Bloom. That's Andrea Reesborough. He works as a logger, while she has a day job at a gas station cashier. In their cabin by the lake, Mandy creates elaborate fantasy art, which Red admires greatly. Their conversations hint at a complicated past and psychological hardship. Red appears to be a recovering alcoholic and possibly a veteran, whilst Mandy recounts traumatic childhood experiences. 
On her way to work, Mandy walks past a van carrying the children of the New Dawn, a deviant hippie cult led by the evil Jeremiah Sand. Sandy's struck by Mandy's beauty and orders one of his disciples, Brother Swan, to kidnap Mandy with the help of the Black Skulls, a demonic biker gang with a taste for human flesh and a highly potent form of LSD. That's the first half an hour of the film. It seems like that's a lot of time with not a lot of action going on here. Mm-hmm. Matt, good, bad? What are you thinking after the opening half hour? So the good, um, I love, absolutely love a good cult story. Uh, whether that be a documentary, whether that be fictional, whether that be a side mission on a Grand Theft Auto game, where there <laughs> always seems to be a cult. Um, and this didn't disappoint uh, in terms of the cultists and our introduction to them, and Jeremiah especially. Um, I thought the way that they were presented at first were, were really, really entertaining. And um, they piqued my interest straight away. What I really didn't enjoy was it was so it forced itself to be this arty farty mess from the start, really. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's my crazy for almost every section. It's so what I've realized is I am not a fan of anything remotely Lynchian. <laughs> and it was just this from the start. Yeah. It was just absolutely this from the start. and But what's worse, it's lazy. And I'm, what I mean by it's lazy is she's intentionally listening or uh, and wearing clothes of like Motley Crue and Black Sabbath. So, of course, she's a bit of a nutter to begin with because that's just what people are, aren't they, when they listen to Motley Crue with a, pen, with a pentagram on the T-shirt or Black Sabbath and the woman, the cultist woman, she's like, oh, that's a cool T-shirt. It's just lazy. If they could have got away with having a nightclub in this movie, they would have been in bondage gear and listening to bloody Napalm Death. It's just a trope that I really hate, and it just really wound me up in this movie. Such an easy shorthand, isn't it? It is. It is. Of course, we've got someone that's got some kind of psychological trauma. Of course, she listens to heavy metal music. Why wouldn't she? She wouldn't listen to Europop. Do you know what I mean? It's just, mm. I, it just winds me up. Um, but yeah, it, it got arty farty very, very quickly. And like I'd said, like I've said previously, it's all very self indulgent without actually giving us any substance. Stu? Mm. I love a bit of Lynch. I love a bit of Dave Fincher. Strange nonsense. I was thoroughly bored by this. If. If it was if it wasn't for the fact that oh, you had to watch this for the for to do this podcast, it would have been off by now already. I fucking hated it from start to finish. From well, let's say from you made it sound great <laughs> in that synopsis. It sounds really interesting. At no point in this first half hour was I interested at all. The Motley Crue T-shirt was probably the best thing about it, and seeing. The guy with his cock out was the uh, the real life son of Ken Barlow. Yes, <laughs> best part about the film. There and then, hated it. And I, I, it was just incredible. It, I think that's probably Matt kind of summed it up. It, it was so forced, and the probably the reason why the director made another film since it's just a copycat, and it's just not good. It's not a good copycat either. I mean, mm. we've we've talked about. 
hereditary and a lot of things like that and how good they are this was the complete opposite for me already <laughs> yeah I felt like there was not enough story to get us to half an hour everything that I just read out that can be done in 12 minutes quite easily and mm. you can convey the same story same message and you've got to say much quicker that that's very much my issue through most of the first half of this movie. It feels plodding. It feels like pulling teeth in parts. Uh. They've done an okay job in setting up the characters. Like we know who Red Miller is, we know who Mandy Bloom is, and we know who Jeremiah Sand is. And then you've just got the people around it. So I quite like the fact that they've told us who the the players in this game are. I just didn't particularly like how long it took them to do it. Mm, That was my problem with the the opening for me. So the next part. At night, Swan drives to the lake and summons the Black Skulls by blowing a mystical ocarina carved from lava stone. (laughs) After Swan offers them a low-ranking member of the cult as a sacrifice, they break into the couple's home and subdue Mandy and Red. The two female members of the cult, Mother Marlene and Sister Lucy, drug Mandy with LSD and venom from a giant black wasp. That's a real thing. Mm. A giant black wasp, also known as the Tarantula wasp, because it's so fucking big. Is it from Australia, like everything else, demonic like that? I I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) That's exactly why I can't go to Australia. It's just full of everything that wants me dead. Uh, They do that before presenting her to Sand. Sand, a failed musician, attempts to seduce Mandy with his psychedelic folk music, telling her that God had told him to take anything he wanted. Mandy laughs at Sand, infuriating him. Seeking revenge, he stabs Red, who is tied and gagged with barbed wire, then burns Mandy alive in front of him. After nothing but ash remains, Sand and his followers leave. Red frees himself, mourns over Mandy's ashes, goes back inside and falls asleep, exhausted and in shock. After waking up from a nightmare, he consumes a bottle of vodka, tends to his wounds and shrieks in agony, grief and rage. Shu, what did you enjoy and not enjoy about the next half an hour? The toilet seems incredible. (laughs) Absolutely superb. In a film that's awful. This that scene in the toilet was the best part about it, but an absolute, it was astonishing. And I'm, I'm presuming it's a one tap, it's a one shot because it doesn't look like it. It just looks like he is completely. I think it's the white wife fronts as well. That <laughs> 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 he's just sitting there, he's just, he's just going full crazy cage and pulling it off brilliantly. It, it was crazy cage, but at the same time, it it wasn't crazy. It was full on, full on breakdown <laughs> grief. Like yeah. You, you, you can tell he, he, like, what do I do now kind of thing. You've just seen your wife, your wife burnt to literally ashes in front of you. Mm. And like, yeah, it, it was, it wasn't restrained, but it, it wasn't batshit. I, I think he, he trod the line perfectly there. I think he did a really good job in that scene. Yeah. I mean, the, everything, everything, I mean, it, like the first part, it just, it's too long. It's just, like it's focused on things, like all the, the sing, the, the rituals and stuff. It just goes on for too long. It's just fo- mm. it's just focused on the, the cameras, like looking down, the, like the thing where they merge the faces together, like in and out, and 
okay, you've done that once. That was cool. And then it does it again, and then it again, and again. You think, okay, we've seen this already. Get on with it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Matt? Yeah, similar similar to Stu, really. But f- firstly, um, <laughs> I was bored, and I've got an hour in bored, so I started making silly notes, such <laughs> as, I didn't know Slipknot was in this film, quad bikes. Like, like, like and and stuff like that. Really, uh, that's a penis is another one of the quotes <laughs> on on my thing in as well. And then bathroom vodka scene. Here we go. And that you know what I mean. That's that's when it, it kicked off. On, on that scene in particular, it it felt like the shackles are off and his artistic license was allowed to be. You know, I doubt I, I doubt the director gave him much to work if he just said, "You do you, boo." Like you, mm. you, you know what's happened to this character. How would you express it? And that's when Nick Cage is given that license. We know that's when he's at his best. And I think you know he pulled it. He put. He unfortunately, I don't think he maintains that intensity at any further point in the in the movie, as we'll get on to, um, because he goes a bit. It gets all a bit parody as the mm. film goes on. Um, yeah. But what I what I thought, and to Stu's point. What I feel about like the direction and the editing and 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 especially in post would have been, it very much felt like someone had given the director or the editing um, or access to. They'd had a trial of whatever software they use, and someone's given them a cracked version of the <laughs> of the pro of, of the pro version. So they're just trying to shove in as many different effects as they can just to play with it while they while they've been given it for free. It just felt really really like over the top and unnecessary however what i will say is the abduction scene with the constant strobe lighting and we we only seeing their faces very sporadically I, I thought was really really well done but there's a scene much 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 further on probably like the last scene of the movie where they're using an effect and it's so bad it takes it but we'll talk about that um again until the bathroom scene, which is the last scene of the half, I, I was bored. I've got to say, yeah, same. Um, again, reading what happened, it sounds really interesting. But when I was watching it for the first half of this film, I kept drifting onto Twitter and just reading stuff, and then having to rewind it because I've missed stuff. And that—that's never a good sign. No. Everything they did that was good, they then dragged it out to the point that it just made it almost insufferable. Like what could be an interesting snappy scene where they give Mandy the LSD and sting her with the the giant wasp. Great, excellent. I want a bit of that and I want to see it. What I don't want is 15 minutes of that. Mm -hmm. I don't don't want the preamble, the action, and then the nothing until the drug kicks in. And that's kind of what we got. It was just all, it was just all too much. That's all I can say is it was just too much. There was a real interesting seed of a story underneath it, but it was just, it was drowning it. The only way I can see it, if you have like a tiniest sliver of apple pie and then you dump like a fucking ton of custard on it, that's kind of what, what I felt with it, mm. it was too much going on top of it. And like you said, the the addition of all the psychedelia and the effects that they put on top, like brevity is the soul of wit. Just give me a little bit, just 
just tease me with it, you know. Don't fucking go all the way and ramp it up to the point that it's just Overkill. irrelevant. Yeah, mm. and, and that's what they did. But I also agree that that toilet scene is the turning point in the film for me. Yeah. That felt like very much the end of the... Preamble. Yeah. The, the dirge that sort of got us to this point. It just took us too long to get there. That whole beginning could have been done in 20 minutes, not an hour. In the morning, Red fetches the Reaper. That's his crossbow from his friend Carruthers. Carruthers provides him with a freshly crafted set of bolts and information on the Black Skulls. According to Carruthers, the Black Skulls were drug couriers who turned sadomasochistic after they consumed a bad batch of LSD. Before Red leaves, Carruthers warns him that his odds of survival are poor. Red forges a battle axe and hunts down the bikers. He shoots one with his crossbow and attempts to run him down, but he's captured in the process. At their hideout, Red breaks free and kills the bikers in a bloody battle. Searching their hideout, he consumes some of their cocaine and tainted LSD, causing him to instantly and severely hallucinate. Matt, that's the next half an hour. Yeah, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it definitely felt like it ramped up and I enjoyed I enjoyed how brief, oddly enough, the explanation of the antagonist's work. That's exactly what the, the start needed. We know why we already know why he's there. We know that they're evil people. Let's get your weapons together and let's go to war. And that's exactly what it was. I enjoyed that and it was it was good. When he's captured, kind of the stigmata with his hand through like with a bolt through it was 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 entertaining and believable. And that you know, at that point I thought, thank fuck for that, because there's gotta be something about this that everybody raves, and then we enjoyed it. But then it couldn't go five minutes without him having to take that LSD and then they do, whilst brief, some kind of hippy-dippy nonsense just to, just because, like, oh, just put, you know, stop, children, what's that sound? Sorry, that's what I listened to earlier. That's, <laughs> like, it's just, just, just enough, like, just let, let's, let's make this the bloodbath that everybody wants it to be. Um, you don't have to go... You don't have to go full 70s psychedelic all the time. Disappointed in that respect. But it was heading in the right direction. That's what I can say about Mm. it. It was getting there. Slowly but surely it was getting there. Mm. Stu? I I actually like the scene with the... um, When he goes in to get his crossbow and that that whole little bit where he gets the arrows from the little little pocket at the top as well. That he handcrafted himself. I like the bit where the um, the fight scenes where with the the blow the telly up as well. I thought that was really well done. But again, it goes from that to me falling asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep after after something like that because, it, like Matt said, it turned shit again. It, it's there's no, it's just it's just way too much. It's way too much. Way too over the top for no reason mm. at all. Yeah, I. I... I guess how I enjoyed most of this scene, to be perfectly honest. I like the fact that they... Whereas I've not enjoyed how it's drawn everything out before in this movie, I like the fact that the battle scene was extended. It didn't feel rushed, and it didn't 
sort of jump down to the tropes of using shitty effects for the sake of using effects. I felt like that they were going somewhere with this movie at this point, like, you know, nearly 90 minutes in. Um, I, I quite enjoyed that half hour. I've got nothing really bad to say about it, to be perfectly honest. I, I was fine with it. Like Matt said, I like the fact that he got there and was given the, the backstory and it wasn't, there was no fucking around. There was no cutscene to a 20 minute monologue with an animation of who the, uh, these bikers are, which is kind of what I expect from this film at this point. So it felt like they were moving in the right direction, as Matt said. So I, I quite enjoyed that scene to be, or that segment of it, to be perfectly honest. The final part. <clears throat> Seeking out a radio tower he envisioned earlier, Red encounters the chemist, a mysterious drug manufacturer who tells him where to find the children of the New Dawn. At their makeshift wooden church in a quarry, Red kills brothers Swan and Hanka with his axe and kills brother... Cl- Klopek, what a name, uh, with in a chainsaw duel, sparing only the life of Sister Lucy. In the tunnels beneath the church, Red finds Mother Marlene and decapitates her. He then finds Sands and taunts him by throwing Marlene's severed head at him. Sand begs for mercy, but Red crushes his skull. He sets Sand's body and the church on fire before driving away, envisioning Mandy in the passenger seat of his car, while the landscape behind him now appears fantastical and otherworldly. Stu, what did you think of the last half an hour? Again, the way you've said it sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was just so fatigued at this point. I just had enough. And even mm. with all that, this absolute chaos going on, even the bit where it, it's the cameras following him on the bike going down the tunnel into the quarry, some of the some of the shots and like the, the chain, how the cha- one chainsaw was so stupidly big compared to the other one as well, like things like that. Which normally you think, okay, this is this is getting to the fun town now, but it, it, I don't. There was just something about it. It just pissed me off too much that I couldn't enjoy it. I just couldn't enjoy it. And then when the, when the scene when the sky goes red, I thought, "Oh fuck off!" And then mm. the, then the, the credits started. I thought, I was so angry. <laughs> I just I I don't know what it is about this film. I just because all the ingredients it's got about it should make me love it, and it should be number one at the top of the thing when we do the rankings again. But even even this last half hour, I think because I've been beaten down so badly in the last in the ninety minutes beforehand, even the good scenes were just it was just torturous. Like, okay, mm. let's just get on with it now. And it was almost like it it, it was trying way too hard to be other films, and it just didn't work for me at all. Mm, I get that, Matt. What did you think? <sighs> It's such a shame because it lost me again. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Um, the the whole and I mentioned it before, like the like the the final showdown um, was so they even like they even fucked that up basically with Jeremiah because they had this really weird editing where it kind of went in and out of light and dark, and you could barely mm. like see what was going on. But it wasn't for the sake of like building tension. It was just for the sake of 
for the sake of it. That's the whole thing. Um, I was bored again. I was just like, I don't know how it managed to do this. And I think the problem is, the, the, the problem is with the whole thing is that it was hyped up so much beforehand, so, read so much about it. I'd looked forward to it so much and it just didn't deliver at all. It just wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, and, you know, by this point, Nick Cage's character has gone from psychopath to cool killer with sunglasses. <laughs> like, it's just... It just lost it so much, and yeah, like Stu said, I was I was mentally fatigued at, the, at it by this point. I was really saddened and disappointed. Really, mm. I, I sort of assumed that the last half an hour is a dream sequence. Mm. I think he probably died before the last. Half. I think when he takes the drugs, the LSD, and the cocaine, I think that's where the film changes and he becomes almost a cartoon character because he's mm. not the same person he's been for the previous 90 minutes. Yeah. And everything that happens around him isn't, isn't within the same world almost. So part of me does wonder if this is his, his death dream sequence. This is his Jacob's ladder moment sort of thing. It, it, it could maybe. be. And maybe I was just disinterested to the point where I didn't, I didn't allow myself to question it. I just was kind of waiting for it to end. Mm. The amount of times I kind of scrolled over my scene to see uh, my screen to see where VLC Media had it, how long have I got left? By this point, I'm that's always of... a bad sign, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah, I just I felt too beaten down from that first half an hour. I think first hour, sorry. If they'd have managed to given us a that first hour and just give us a tight twenty minutes of story, and then get straight into him killing the bikers and then going after the cult. Mm-hmm. brilliant but i think it was too much of a slog to get to this point so by this point as you've both said numerous times fatigue sets in at this point and it just makes it a bit of a slog everything that i've read in the plot synopsis from wikipedia sounds like a really interesting film it does not sound like a two-hour film though to me mm, yeah. and i think that's the biggest issue so that's the film anyway. So the budget was an estimated $6 million. It was it had a very limited release and it received about $150 million back before going on to VOD, uh, currently streaming on Shudder, which is where I saw it. Uh, this film was released in 2018. Nick Cage had a busy old year in that year. So after Mandy, he was in Looking Glass, 211 Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Between Worlds, and probably one of the best films of that year, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. I've got to say, like, I don't know Looking Glass 211 or Between Worlds, but they look like they're going to be trespass levels of fun <laughs> when we finally get to them. <laughs> the biggest box office films of 2018, unsurprisingly, were all sequels. We had Black Panther, Infinity War, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Deadpool 2, The Grinch, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Mission Impossible Fallout, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Every film in the top 10 is a sequel or part of a franchise. Nothing original in there at all. Like I say, I've seen 
I think I've seen all of those films as well. Very hit and miss. I'd probably say mm. Jumanji is my favourite of the top ten, personally. Yeah, I think there's only one of their one of them that I haven't seen. But The Grinch. Yeah. Mm. Because why, I think I think I saw that last year. Why why would you mess with Jim Carrey? Why? Just leave it as it is. That's, that's not a good film though. Oh. oh. It's Christmas and it's that's fun, great. he's not gonna like it, is he? Of course. It's not fun, it's awful. <laughs> You're it? literally a, 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 a who of Whoville that's turned <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. <clears throat> so what do you think the scores are critic-wise and fan-wise, Matt? It depends who you speak to, because some people are going to think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and other, going to, other people are going to think it's absolute nonsense. But it definitely won't be 50% either. Um, I'd probably say it's 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 reviewed quite highly, maybe critical eighty fan though will go the other way and be forty. Stu, oh, the complete opposite of that. I think critics won't like it because it's it's too stupid and it, it's too pompous. But I think for a lot, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it until mm. we've done this in this last whatever it is. <laughs> Everyone I've spoken to is saying, oh, you need to see Mandy, you need to do Mandy. And to the mm. to the case of, I actually bought this. I bought it on Amazon. Because I thought, well, <laughs> if it's as good as everyone says it is, I'm going to watch it again. And I don't want to be scurrying around trying to find files. I just want it so I can just click on it and watch it whenever I want. It's the worst six quid I've ever spent in my entire life. <laughs> so, but I'll, because so many people love it, I'll say it's going to be the other way around. What, 75, something like that for, for audience score and probably 40, 50 for critics. Hmm. Interesting. So the critical, uh, sorry, no, the audience score, IMDb, 6.5 and Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 66. So it's just on the positive side of middling. Mm. The Metacritic score was 81 and the Rotten Tomatoes critical score was 90. Oh, for fuck's sake. So this is the 10th highest ranked cage film on the tomato meter. Eighth, actually, if you discount Teen Titans and Spider-Verse, because he's not really in them. So it's the eighth highest ranked film that he is predominantly the star of. This is exactly why I don't watch the Oscars or anything like that, because it's <laughs> they've gone the complete other way. They? It's, oh, that's, it's made me legitimately angry. <laughs> Because it's so pompous and up its own arse, they love it. Of course they do. So there's only two critics, or two top critics, who gave it negative scores. There's Bruce Damara from the Toronto Star. He said that it displays some decent visual gimmickry, but shoots for mystical and epic, but ultimately feels laboured and pointless. And Ben Sachs from Chicago Reader. I didn't much care for the film but I can see how it might appeal to gore hounds and fans of genre cinema. Which I think I sort of agree with that. Uh, Hannah Strong from Little White Lies. Dreamy, destructive, unfailingly compelling. And Anton Bittel from Sight and Sound. Hyper-stylized and ultra-violent, Mandy's an amped-up theological trip into Pulp's purist quintessence. The one that I think probably most closely aligns with myself is from someone called Chris Stuckman. 
beautifully shot film, although sometimes uses processed grain and lens flares, were quite distracting. The second half was exactly what I wanted, but the first half is a bit slow. I think that's where I sit on the uh, on the whole of it, to be perfectly honest. The fan response was a bit more mixed. So Dan M threw in a one-star review of this film. An avant-garde David Lynchian film, Mandy is a incoherent mess. There's no real story, just a vague impression of a revenge tale. Nick Cage leads the cast for whatever that's worth. But the real star is the cinematography because the film just looks amazing, giving off a surreal, ethereal vibe. At the other end of the scale, Brendan O said that Mandy was exactly what Nicolas Cage needed. He'd been starring in some of the worst films in the VOD market, but out of nowhere, he's connected with an up-and-coming indie filmmaker who gives him an incredible role. So the fans are very much all ends of the spectrum. The Maniacs from Amazon.com, though, they gave this film a 4 out of 5, with 73% going 4 or 5 stars. There was five stars from one reviewer. The only thing I disliked about this girl, uh, about this movie is my girlfriend whipped her phone out halfway through and started playing Crush. The light off her phone distracted me for a brief instant. <laughs> then Nick Cage went absolutely mental, drinking white spirit and screaming on the toilet. And the film blew up. A ludicrously beautiful film. 41 people found that review helpful. <laughs> <laughs> A reviewer who goes by the name VaderFet75. This film came out of nowhere and blew my mind. Panos Cosmatos somehow looked in my mind, heart and soul and saw what type of film I wanted to see as a means to wash out the filthy aftertaste of failed Star Wars abominations and Marvel Cinematic conveyor belt crap. Is this you? It's it's not, it's not. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. I was fortunate enough to catch this on the big screen, but it came and left the cinemas without much of a TV spot or billboard poster to advertise it. The film is trippy, violent, surreal, nightmarish, horrific, dark, and a visceral gut punch of an adventure that will leave you dazed and wowed. Nicolas Cage was born to play the part of Red Miller. This role is not about dialogue or cheesy one-liners. It's about mannerisms, actions and the atmosphere created by a truly visionary filmmaker in which the main character finds himself. It's all about Cage. If you are a real fan of cinema, of films with balls, just watch this film. You will not regret it. Finally, Ian said, Brutally bad. Don't listen to the arty-farty, pretentious crowd. This is bad. (laughs) So the reviews are all over the place. It's very difficult to draw anything from them, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) So we've given our good and bad already, I suppose, as we've gone through. Have either of you got anything else that you wanted to add on either of those terms? I I think good visually in parts. You can't deny that it is beautiful mm-hmm. in parts and the colour palette and obviously it it's the foreplay for colour out of space isn't it really in terms of um, how good a film can look and if, if it does one thing I suppose it kick starts a bit of a renaissance for some Nick Cage performances that are not gone in 60 seconds and so for that I'm grateful <laughs> 
Stu, have you got anything else to add? It's a good idea. That's that's a bit. It's a it's a good idea that could be eighty if it was eighty minutes long, or eighty four minutes. I say eighty four minutes long. Hmm. Half of the bollocks was just stripped away, and it was just mental. It would be up there with one of the best films he's ever done. Because I thought he was really, really good, didn't he? Mm. Weirdly enough, he was the best part about it. But everything else is just so annoying. I think that's more than more than any other film that we've ever talked about. This is the most annoying nonsense we've seen so far. <laughs> is this next levels? This is. Well, when are we doing the? Are we doing it around Christmas? Are we doing the end of the year? Yeah, be around Christmas time. Well, I'm going to spoil it now because this is the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. So he beats next to be bottom of the list. Jeez. Right, okay. So have a think about what your crazy will be because we've done the good and the bad. I'll start off with my crazy. The inspirations for this film. Okay. So Panos Cosmatos said this film is about the death of his parents. (laughs) I, I don't quite see how that works, but... Okay, and Nick Cage said that the inspiration behind his performance was the end of his marriage to Alice Kim Cage. That'll be the lady from Next that you may remember. She's the one who we got a full minute of boob shot for no apparent reason. Cage said that the marriage came to a sudden end. It was a shocker for me. Didn't see it coming. And those feelings had to go somewhere. So they went into my performance. So that's my crazy. Stu, what's yours? There's so many people like it. I don't get it. I just don't. I don't understand. I'm I'm so baffled by why this is so beloved by so many people who've got the same kind of taste as, that I have in weird films. It's just I, I'm truly astonished that people are so like taken by this film. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. Matt, what's your crazy? This this movie somehow out hipsters the hipsters. <laughs> it's so out there and it's so self indulgent for the sake of it that even hipsters can't get on board with it because it's it's not even cool to find something uncool. Do you know what I mean? It's just it goes so far. Like there's some other podcasts that I've listened to that you know do a similar thing to us that have have said that, like, actually, the people who... There's almost stan culture when it comes to this this film because the people that love it really love it and won't hear anything otherwise. It's like the war between WWE and AEW. Like, you pick a side <laughs> and nothing else can exist other than what you what you believe. Like, there's just... There's, there's no middle ground with this. It's very Marmite and, sadly, you fall on the hated side... Um, on this occasion, or at least I do. Mm. So I think you've both sort of nailed your crosses to the mast. Matt, did you enjoy this film? No, I really wanted to enjoy it before, and, and for maybe 20 minutes of it I did, but apart from that I was, I was thoroughly bored and I, and I didn't enjoy it, no. Stu? <laughs> I already said I fell asleep. <laughs> I, I, ch- I checked... My, my my digital clock on the wall four times to see how long was left and I, I couldn't believe how it still was on. It's just just despicable shit. Hated it. I think on the balance, I was okay with it. Like I, I wouldn't say I loved it. I remember when I watched it 
12 months ago. I really enjoyed it. But on a rewatch, it didn't quite hit the same chord. It's not an easy film to watch at all. It's far too long, like unquestionably so. There's issues around pacing and the editing of the movie that I just couldn't quite get to grips with, especially in that first hour. Like it was needlessly drawn out with not enough character development, unfortunately. So when the death happens, it doesn't have the same emotional impact on the viewer that it really should have had. However, I enjoyed the second half. I did think it was quite fun. I don't mind a slower paced film, but the second half was the correct slow pace, whereas the first one was a snail crawl. There was a difference between slow paced and like fucking ice age, the moving of tectonic plates. <laughs> That's how slow it was in the first half. But based on this film, did you think Nick was good or was he bad, Stu? He was the best thing about it, and not even in a kind of, yeah, you have to find something good to say, because I thought he actually, in part, he was genuinely excellent. And like he was in Claretta Space, the, what he had to do, he went way above and beyond anything this nonsense deserved. Especially the, I mean, the, the toilet scene is the new iconic scene for me of Cage, because it was just superb. And knowing what he put into it, Makes sense why it was so good. If he was thinking of his ex-wife or he's wearing stained pants, um, but, but yeah, his performance was great in it. He was really good. Everything else about it, no. But for this question, yes, he is. Cool, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Like, I think he was good in it. In that, you know, he he imparted some of his own soul into the performance, and you can see that and. The things that were good about about it were solely things that Nick Cage were a part was a part of. Um, the cultists, I enjoyed that side of it, but I enjoyed his interactions with you know in, in in the fight scenes and things like that. So I can't say he was bad in it. I think he was massively let down by the direction and the bizarre need to use every effect known to man that they could. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in agreement. Like, to put it simply, I thought he was great in this movie. It was another proper swing for the fences kind of performance that we, we expect from Cage. And I think putting it within this nightmarish, kaleidoscopic, almost non-linear story, mm. I think it worked perfectly what he brought to it. His character choices were spot on. It's exactly what I wanted to see from him. And yeah, I think he's... Um, it's three yeses on this one this time. So finally, I want you to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Mandy, you may also like. Matt, start us off. If you enjoy Mandy, you may also like The Crow City of Angels. The much... Well, I don't think anybody's seen it. Well, they must have seen it because they ended up having two more of the buggers. Um, but The City of Angels actually really isn't that bad. Um, it's got a really good cultist vibe to it um and like there's, there's drug use in it and iggy pops in it and mm. it's just um it's just quite fun and if you like that cultist vibe to it you'll you'll probably enjoy this and it has for a film that has probably next to zero budget because they've spunked it on iggy pop 
it's got some quite nice visual visual touches in there as well um and it's just a it's just a fun revenge film basically that isn't the crow because you've all seen it before it's a good choice like no one ever mentions uh, the crow city of angels i I don't think i've seen vincent perez in anything else after that either to be honest no i haven't (laughs) Stu, what would you recommend (sighs) open heart surgery maybe um (laughs) It was there were so many things in this that I thought, well, there's other films that have done this better. So like, like the, there's Black Skull people just go and watch Hellraiser. That's better than this for the, from that angle. If you want to be arty, there's loads of shit out there. Go and watch The Lighthouse if you ain't seen it already. That is a genuinely superb film. Yeah, great choice. Like we already we we're not going to stop banging this drum till everyone in the world's watch it. Go and watch Hereditary. <laughs> There's just so much other things that if you want weird shit, then you can find it that's better than this. And if you want gore, go and watch Evil Dead or one of the many sequels. Go watch a Romero film, something like that. It's There's a lot of other things that are better than this in every single part of that they do. <laughs> but yeah, that a mixture of them too. You want weirdness, go and watch The Lotus. You want a bit of cult, demonic weird nonsense, then go and watch Hellraiser which is actually quite fun. Mm. I mean, I think the correct answer is Colorative Space. There's a reason we've mentioned it several times in this episode. Mm -hmm. It's a really good film. Um, I'm going to go with another film starring Andrea Reesborough because I do feel she was a little bit underserved in this film and I know she's capable of a really good lead performance. So I'm going to go with Brandon Cronenberg. That'll be David's son. His film, Possessor. So Possessor follows an agent who works for a secretive organisation that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high-paying clients. It's a film that devolves into a fascinating sci-fi technophobia body horror movie. It's pretty rough in parts to watch. It's a slower paced, slow burner as well. It does what Mandy should have done. It's a slow burner, but it's not dragged out for days and days. So Possessor by Brandon Cronenberg for me. So that's another Nick Cage film in the books. If you've seen this film or anything else, please get in contact. We are on at CageFightingPod on the Twitter and it's CageFightingPod at gmail.com on the emails. Please make sure that you're subscribed or following us on whatever podcatcher you use. And if you can leave us a review, we will love you forever. Thank you once again for giving us your time. And for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Insert caption catchphrase winner. (laughs) Look after yourselves. (laughs) Stu, would you like to say goodbye? If only we'd just watched the music video to Mandy by Barry Manilow. That would have been much better for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's goodbye from me and remember, be excellent to each other. Oh! <laughs>